Welcome to the Smart Strength Training Podcast. This is the podcast where we take popular trends and we look at it through an evidence-based lens. And boy, are we looking at a trend today. This is podcast episode six, and I'm going to be talking about intermittent fasting. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't go on my social media these days without someone talking about the benefits to fasting, intermittent fasting, or some sort of time-restricted feeding. First up, just a quick disclaimer, because I do actually practice fasting myself. That does, of course, create some bias, um, but I will try to make sure I answer this with as much of the sort of pros and cons, and I'll give you a little bit about my own journey with fasting and why I started fasting in the first place. First up, let's just go through maybe a little bit of the terminology around fasting, because fasting and time-restricted feeding is nicely complex but I think sometimes it can be a bit misunderstood around what actually is fasting um because often people will say to me Andy look I eat dinner at 7 p.m and I train at 7 a.m and I'm training fasted as much as that is training in a fasted state that's not really what we're talking about we're talking more about a prolonged fasted window window or thinking about very much restricting our meal timing um so p- uh, popular methods of time restriction are the 16-8 where you fast for 16 hours and you feed in that eight hour window. There's also a 24, so four hour feeding, 20 hour fasting, and there's actually also a 22 hour fast and a two hour feeding window. So that's very much the time restricting protocols. Uh, and there are more, but they're the main ones. And then when you're thinking about actual like prolonged fasting, the kind of classic ones are 24 hour fast, alternate day fasting which ends up being a 36 hour fast usually and then what's getting really popular at the moment is this 72 hour fast so let's go into first up talk about why people fast because I put a poll out on my stories on social media and it was unanimous that people wanted to know more about the weight loss benefits there were also questions around longevity improved energy brain function and inflammation so I'm going to make sure I touch on all of those topics and give you a little bit more than just the ones that were asked for. First up, let's discuss weight loss. So to create a weight loss response, we need to reduce the total amount of energy that we consume. So we have to create some sort of a calorie deficit. So there are many ways to restrict your diet. You can do caloric restriction, where you might count your calories. You can do dietary restriction where you aren't eating carbohydrates or you're not eating fats but you're placing restriction on an element within the diet itself and you can do time restriction and time restriction obviously time restricted feeding that is what fasting is about and it's popular because it's probably one of the easiest to implement when it comes to any of those restrictions that we just spoke about calorie restriction can be quite complicated to do A nutritional restriction, A, for starters, doesn't always work, but also can be quite hard to do if you restrict whole food groups. But let's also state that if you look at the research into um, how effective fasting or time-restrictive feeding is for weight loss, certainly the 16-8 diet, where you fast for 16 hours and feed in that eight-hour window, unsurprisingly, people can still over-consume total energy in eight hours. So the research into the 16-8 isn't great when it comes to guaranteeing weight loss. If you're looking to guarantee weight loss using a time-restricted protocol, 
it would need something like a 22 hour or a 24 hour fast. And they aren't probably the most practical ways of doing it. Certainly if someone's doing a 16, eight and just eating what they want in that eight hour window, if they were doing a 16, eight layered with really smart nutritional choices, then of course that could be a, um, a great way to go about implementing it. I mentioned that fasting is a easy to implement way of using restriction in a diet, but what it's also worth pointing out that actually fasting does have poor adherence, certainly in the long run. One of the things that we see a lot in the weight loss literature is that adherence rates to long-term dietary interventions does become quite challenging. And as much as fasting is good at the start, like a lot of these things, it doesn't always win in the in the long race. And there's definitely question marks over when you're trying to lose body fat, we actually want to make sure that we are retaining lean muscle mass at the same time. And it's not to say that you can't retain muscle whilst in a fasted protocol or doing intermittent fasting. You just need to know what you're doing. You need to make sure that you know you're optimizing when you train to make sure that you're not in the middle of a fast and therefore your energy is already tanked whilst you're fasting. And you want to make sure you're getting enough nutrients in, primarily protein, to support the retention of muscle. So there is question marks if people are just doing it a bit haphazardly as a weight loss intervention, that maybe fasting isn't the best method for weight maintenance. Because at the end of a successful weight loss phase, obviously the most important thing is you stick to that weight ongoing. So you need to have made sure you've kept hold of as much lean muscle mass as possible and potentially fasting if done poorly, isn't the best way of doing that. Okay, so next up in this weight loss conversation is improved insulin sensitivity. Now, I know that wasn't mentioned on my stories, my poll, but I think it's a really important one to come in on because managing glucose spikes, continuous blood glucose monitors, which is definitely a, a whole podcast episode to itself, is a hot topic right now. And it's very clear if you look at the literature into intermittent fasting, that intermittent fasting does improve insulin sensitivity. Um, but it's really important to point out that any diet that reduces total energy intake and creates a caloric deficit also improves insulin sensitivity. It's also worthwhile stating that if you overfeed people whilst they're in fasted windows, that that means that they don't seem to have the improvement in insulin sensitivity. So it's not necessarily fasting by itself that creates an improvement in insulin sensitivity. It's more the fact that the body is, hasn't got enough energy to have this um, impaired insulin spikes. So caloric restriction is the most important thing. That being said as well, um, if you look at the data into calorie restriction and calorie restriction paired with fasting and calorie restriction paired with fasting does improve insulin sensitivity slightly more than caloric restriction by itself. So if improving insulin sensitivity is something you're interested in, then caloric restriction plus fasting is a great way to go. The same with this understanding around trying to preserve lean muscle mass. If you're smart with what you're doing and you're making sure you get enough protein in, your training isn't um, impaired by your fasted window, then you can really maximize these benefits. But you just do need to understand there are some adjustments you need to make to the way you eat and the way you train just to make sure you're maximizing these things and minimizing any issues with things like loss in lean muscle mass.
So next up in this topic of fasting is longevity. Now, longevity is a really, really interesting one because fasting research goes back over 100 years. And the conversation around longevity really spiked at the birth of the 16-8 diet, where mice were put into a 16-hour fasted window and an eight-hour fed window. There was a significant increase in life expectancy of mouse, which sparked a lot of interest. It sparked the creation of a 16-8 diet. Human trials have been much, much less conclusive, and that probably should make sense because obviously the average mouse lives for three years. Um, so a 16-hour fast in a mouse is the equivalent to something like a 27-day fast in a human. And just for ethical reasons, you can't be fasting humans for 27 days to see what happens. Um, a lot of the benefits of fasting center around this word autophagy and you may have heard coaches and nutritionists talking about it so autophagy is a natural process it's a very complex process and it's the process where cells degrade and they recycle their own components as we use cells day to day some cells become dysfunctional and the body has to remove them um, and this is one of the things that the longevity sort of space is very keen on trying to optimize and of course, so fasting does improve autophagy, but it's also worth pointing out there are many things that improve autophagy and autophagy is happening all the time. So some of the things that you might already be doing that improve autophagy are exercise, both aerobic exercise, cardio and resistance training improve autophagy. Certain polyphenols in fruit and veg and berries that we eat also help improve um, autophagy. Um, hormones and certain growth factors are integral in the um, modulation of autophagy. Certainly any hormone around the stress response to the human body and controlling energy balance. So that's things like cortisol or glycogon. Really, really important when it comes to modulating autophagy in the body. And probably the two of the biggest things that are going to affect autophagy are sleep or improvements in sleep, let's say, and caloric restriction. So once again, caloric restriction shows up here as well. Reducing the amount of energy the human body has to deal with is a great way of making the body have to turn internally to sort of clean up cells. Um, so autophagy, like insulin sensitivity, is also triggered by um, periods of decreased energy. And I think it's really important to think about this from a from like an evolutionary standpoint. Human beings, we had prolonged periods of food scarcity. Having a food in abundance is quite a new novel thing in human history. So it's not surprising that A, the human body is very adaptive and therefore we can adapt to this. But it's also not overly surprising that there are major benefits to having periods of caloric restriction and that there are some benefits aligned to the human body. But of course, um, there's a huge caveat to this, that eating disorders are one of the biggest issues within the nutrition space. So by no means am I promoting long-term fasting for health I'm just stating that it is a logical conclusion to understand why there are some benefits to having periods where we're not overeating. And then back to this conversation of autophagy, as much as autophagy is something that is sensible to promote because it is complex, we don't necessarily know that turning on autophagy more has major, major longevity benefits to it because this is a process that is delicately balanced in the human body. So again, it's an area where we do need more research before we can start making any hard conclusions.
Okay, staying with longevity, now I'm going to start talking about inflammation because that sort of directly links to longevity. Now, inflammation is one of those frustrating social media buzzwords that is super important. Um, But I do feel like, like a lot of these things, because they get overstated so much and it ends up feeling like a bit of a sales pitch, it's quite hard to sometimes believe what you're reading. But caloric restriction and intermittent fasting do reduce oxidative stress and they can improve energy metabolization and regulate inflammatory activation in the body. Like I said, that is caloric restriction and intermittent fasting. So very similar to autophagy, very similar to improved insulin sensitivity. These things all are a part of the fact that if you reduce the amount of energy the body has to deal with, then there are these benefits that are aligned to it. Now, Quite a few people asked about improving energy. And it's interesting to hear from people that are really pro-fasting talk about the cognitive awareness benefits and how you get this huge boost in energy. All you need to do is ask people that fast or have tried fasting, is that a across the population, one size fits all um, benefit? And you'll be very quick to find out that's not the case. A lot of people really struggle when they take their energy down far too low for too long a period of time. Now, I don't like to split research into the sexes, but this is certainly one where it appears to be a difference in sexes. Women generally seem to report they have more dysfunction with their energy by having prolonged periods of fasting. Of course, not always. I have a couple of clients who do really well, the women and that use fasting and have no issue at all. But if you're going to go about fasting for improved cognition, just know it's not a guaranteed thing to happen because the idea is that you're gonna you're gonna try and get your brain to switch to using ketones as a fuel source. That can take time and in some people doesn't seem to happen. So yes, It can happen, but just be mindful that it's not guaranteed to happen. Now, interestingly, brain function was something that quite a few of you mentioned to me. And I must say that I was doing my research for this podcast episode, and it wasn't something that I had actually looked into before. But there were some really interesting, fairly robust findings around enhancing cognitive function, promoting neuroplasticity, and it seemed to also help with resistance towards injury and disease. So super, super interesting side note. I can't say much more other than to say that there is a decent amount of research and it's all very positive um, towards fasting. So as you heard, there are lots of benefits to fasting. Um, And if you do it and do it well, and you are sensible with your fasting window, it doesn't affect your training, and you can get enough protein in, you're thinking about your sleep, and you're exercising regularly just generally, then you can take advantage of the additional benefit that fasting does seem to promote. So it feels like potentially it's a slam dunk for fasting, but I think that is important to point out some of the kind of cons around fasting. Um, Certainly, Some research suggests that fasting may increase cortisol levels and affect carbohydrate utilization in women during a menstrual cycle. More research is needed in this area, but it certainly is something just to be aware of, that not everyone's going to be able to respond to fasting and feel all these benefits. And this, I think, is one of the problems. People often say, well, how long should I be fasting for? Should I be doing long fasting? Should I be doing more time-restricted feeding and just choosing a shorter feeding window? I wish we could prescribe, but we can't prescribe. So you have to go in with a little bit of trial and error. So 
this is my thoughts on fasting as a sort of takeaway notes for this. So if the thought of restricting time is the most logical, sensible, easy to implement option for you, then great. You can create a feeding window and you can stick to that as your main restriction. But that does not mean if you are generally eating crap as your diet, that you can just continue to eat crap and think that fasting is somehow magic and go do it all for you. You still want to have good quality nutritional habits in there. And then effectively, when it comes to weight loss, you are using the, the window of not eating to reduce the total amount of energy that you consume. And that's kind of practical if you think that a lot of people's like extra energy they're consuming might come in the evening, sat watching TV, glass of wine, packet of crisps, popcorn, sweets. By fasting and creating a shorter feeding window, you are simply removing those obstacles. So it can be a very, very practical way of doing it. But let's not try and pretend there's something magical about fasting, because a lot of the proposed benefits that I hear people talking about is directly linked to reducing total energy intake and not specifically aligned to fasting itself. But of course, if you are looking to lose body fat, body weight, you want to make sure you preserve lean muscle mass. So if you're not sure how to do that and you're going into this bit blind, I don't think fasting is a great idea. I think you need to make sure your train's already pretty consistent, you're pretty good with your protein um, and you're you're tracking your performance. You're knowing that fasting isn't going to negatively affect these things. Longevity, I sort of take a fairly firm stance on. If you're not currently exercising regularly, you're not doing some form of cardiovascular training and resistance training. You're not already eating a balanced diet, including plenty of fruit, veg to get those polyphenols in. You're not currently weight stable and your sleep's all over the place. I just don't understand why I'd go to fasting for promoting longevity because we know that sleep is huge. Being weight stable is important. Eating a balanced diet is super important and exercise, we know the long-term longevity benefits of exercise. I get a little bit frustrated by people that seem to want to jump into a hack and hack their way through things without wanting to put the effort in on the stuff that we know actually works and has stood the test of time. So don't jump on trends when you can do things that we actually know definitely work. But if you've got those things in place, you're exercising regularly, you're eating a balanced diet, your body weight's pretty stable, you're sleeping well, and you want to take advantage of this on top of it, 100% great idea to do. And I know popular podcasters like Joe Rogan, and Diary the CEO has spoken about 72 hour fasts and the benefits to them. Be very careful. If you've not fasted before, don't jump in and do a 72 hour fast from the get go. Start with 16 hours, take it up to 24 hours, then go to alternate day, 36 hours. And then if that felt okay, by all means, try going longer. Make sure you feel good, that you understand how your body operates. You want to spend a decent chunk of time playing around with fasting and just see how it works before you start jumping on it. Because to say that the fasting research isn't conclusive would be an understatement. And it's a bit frustrating to see how many people are jumping on lines like improves autophagy and decreases inflammation when this is quite misleading because there's loads of things that do that. And it's not directly causative of fasting. It sells products, it makes people sound smart, they use big words, but it's quite clear that people do not actually understand what they're talking about when they're promoting these things. But promoting it as part of a well-balanced approach to training, sleep and lifestyle, yeah, I'm fully on board with that. 
And then just to finish up with a little bit of my own personal history, because like I started this podcast and said that I do have a bias here that I actually do fast regularly. I start eating my meals around 11 o'clock most days. I generally stick to roughly a eight, nine hour feeding window and I regularly partake in 24 or 36 hour fasts. This is because back when I was younger, I was doing a lot of bodybuilding. I was obsessed with body image. I was doing a lot of very questionable nutritional practices, not really sure what I was doing at the time. That caused a lot of GI tract distress, that caused a lot of gas, bloating and stomach irritation. I saw various nutritionists, I tried various products around digestive enzymes and various other probiotics and nothing seemed to work. And then I was very resistant to doing intermittent fasting, but it had been said to me by so many people, I gave it a try. And for me personally, it literally changed everything within the space of maybe a month. Um, and anytime I feel like I'm having any kind of GI tract, um, GI tract distress, I can do a 24, 36 hour fast and it clears it up straight away. So I'm a big, big advocate, big believer in it feels good to give the digestive tract time away from breaking down food, partly because of the benefits I just spoke about, but partly because it just feels good for me. But like I said, I've got plenty of clients that tried it and they hated it. Um, so you can't say it's a one size fits all good for the whole population. That's not going to be the case for anything that people try to do. But like I said, that is my own personal um, experience with it. It's something that I will continue to practice ongoing, but I'm very, very hesitant to recommend it just generally across the board. But, um, but yeah, I thought it'd be good just to sort of explain the reasons for myself for doing it. I don't use it for weight loss benefits. Um, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with knowing what to do with my nutrition around it. So I'm in a good place to use it now, way better than I did when I first started doing it almost 15 years ago. So that's it. Hopefully that helped with some of the, the myths and misconceptions that are getting pushed around on fasting. And hopefully you can use some of these pointers and put into practice in your own life and your own nutrition. And if you want help using a, a tool like intermittent fasting in your own nutrition and you want help with one-on-one -on -one coaching, then I am available for online one-on-one -on -one personal training and nutrition.